Hi, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together Bruce and I have written 35 cookbooks, including the very latest out this fall, Instant Pot Bible, The Next Generation, which stars Picard and Riker. <laughs> Wait, is that not out yet? <laughs> I feel like we've been working on that book forever. <laughs> and Beverly Crusher's Chili. No, it doesn't really. I don't Beverly really. Beverly <laughs> Crusher's Chili. <laughs> It really honestly is not about that. It's a, it's a follow-up to our international bestseller, The Instant Pot Bible. And we've written another Instant Pot book, uh, oh, which I love, which was my whole idea of uh, from freezer to Instant Pot. Wait, I'm, I st- I'm not over Beverly Crush's chili. <laughs> I think that we need to have a whole podcast on Beverly Crusher's Chili. I really, you know what would make me so happy if Gates McFadden was actually listening to this podcast and found out that we wanted to make Beverly Crusher's Chili. That's just I bet so she fabulous. is so disgusted with only being associated <laughs> with Beverly is. Crusher, despite the fact that it is paying for her retirement. Well, I, you don't know what their deal was. You don't know what they're getting. Indeed. She goes to Comic-Con and probably charges $1,000 a piece a for, a, for a signature. They all do. Charges 50 cents. <laughs> Um, good God. But anyway, today's show is not about any of that, although it's probably in all of those books. It is. And we are talking about olives. Uh, You know, if you've got olives in your house, and you probably do, whether they're in a jar full of brine or whether they're in plastic containers because you got them at the Antipasto bar, you've got olives. You've got green olives. You've got black olives. You've got pitted olives. You've got non-pitted olives. And we we are going to show you things to do with them. We are. We're going to go through a list of some of the things that we like to do with the olives. We tend to buy olives off the salad bar at the supermarket because uh, it's easier to get them and get exactly what we want and pick out the plumpest ones and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know the whole story, but, but any these days, these COVID days, they don't let you pick them off the no, antipasto bar gotta, anymore. You got to get them pre-picked. So whether you have green olives or black olives, in this particular thing, you need them pitted. So if yours have pits, you got to cut the meat off and get rid of the pits. And we're going to make a little olive dip, or also known as tapenade, but we're going to do it by hand rather than doing it in a food processor. Okay, wait, can I just say that yep. about pitting olives? Can I just say one thing about yep. pitting them? The easiest way, in my opinion, to pit an olive when I have to work in a recipe is that. I put the olives on a cutting board and smash them with the side the side of a chef's knife. I press down just about like garlic. And yes, it smashes and, you know, crinkles open the olive. But the pit e- is easier to come out than taking a paring knife to each no- olive. Which, well, there is oh that gosh. other way where you put it in your mouth and you <laughs> chew the pit off and then spit it out oh, on the cutting then, board. And then so then no one's see, no one's watching. And so you spit out what's in your mouth. Yeah, no one's watching. Pit it up. Okay, that's disgusting. <laughs> so my smashing with the side of a chef's knife I can't even talk it's so disgusting <laughs> is that you know there is a is whole the thing a whole culture it. where people do they chew the food up for their kids and they're not talking about stop, birds stop 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 okay so you know we what have... here's the thing people are into everything <laughs> If you're into it, there are 80 other people that are into it with you. and You are never alone. No. Not in this world. Really, not with 8 bazillion people. You are never alone. I, oh, that's the thing about the internet. You you know, you learn that whatever your crazy obsession is, there are other people that have it. Anyway, okay, 
So let's stop and not talk and about my... spitting food into our children's mouths. Okay, so instead I'm making my tapenade and I'm not using okay. a food processor because I don't want it too pasty. I want this to be chunky dip. I'm taking a half a cup of pitted olives and I'm going to take one, just one jarred roasted red bell pepper and a small one. If yours is really big, don't use the whole one. So we got the half a cup of pitted olives, the small jarred roasted red pepper, a couple teaspoons of fresh thyme leaves. And all I'm going to do is rock that back and forth on the cutting board. I'm going to rock my knife over that and I'm going to chop it up and chop it up and chop it up and chop it up. back and forth. Yeah, my knife. I'm going to rock okay, my knife, knife back and forth over that. Yeah. Oh, all right. Chopping it up, I'm going to put a few red pepper flakes in. I might even put few capers in there, some black pepper. Okay, for those at home who are playing along, maybe you want to explain how that rocking happens. Well, if you notice, the if you have a standard um, European Western chef knife, not a cleaver, not an Eastern um, cutting utensil, um, the knives always have a little curve to them, right? They're flat by the handle, but then the blade curves up. So you're going to sort of uh, keep that curve uh, part of the blade which is closer to the tip on the cutting board at all times and you're going to in your dominant hand hold the handle your other hand is going to go on the top of the back the dull side of the knife and you're just going to rock it back and forth on that curved bit watch your fingers and watch your fingers and you're going to do this until you have not a puree but a very coarsely chopped bit that can spread really nicely it's great for crackers it's great for putting on bruschetta Bruschetta. Bruschetta. I'm having too many shush 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 in there. What if I want it hot? If you want it hot, then I would also mince in a jalapeno with it. That's what I would do. Okay. So you put a little jalapeno in it, uh, olives, roasted red pepper, thyme leaves, and you rock that together into a paste. Now what do I do with it? And now you're going to use it as a spread on bruschetta, in wraps. You could dip celery sticks in it. It's just Mm. so yum. You could eat it with a spoon. Fill an omelet with it. You could fill an omelet. You could roast. Mm. You could roast um, pear halves and dollop Mm. it on top of the roasted Mm. pear halves. You could also uh, make hard-boiled eggs and use it as a spread on top of the hard-boiled eggs. Nobody likes hard-boiled eggs. Nobody. Okay, a lot of people like hard-boiled eggs. A lot. And you could also make deviled eggs with this. Okay, nobody likes deviled eggs. <sighs> you could make deviled eggs with this by taking the by taking the hard-cooked eggs, cutting them in half lengthwise, scooping out the yolks, mixing it with a little mayonnaise, and a little of this olive, tapenade, red peppery, thymey, hottie, whatever paste and putting it back in for the deviled egg that would be it's a very nice thing to make and if you make this in advance you can keep this in the fridge for a couple days you can and And you can serve it as an appetizer before dinner and i think you got a good dinner idea i do have a really good dinner idea and here's my idea i don't think most people know this take a quarter cup of pitted olives um and i don't care if they're red uh, red listen to me if you got red olives there are red olives i know good for you they're a little obscure (laughs) a quarter cup of green or black olives so i Either way, you can even mix and match. It doesn't matter. And remember that olives are very salty, so you don't have to add any extra salt. So you've got a quarter cup pitted olives. Chop them up. You know, do my smash technique of getting the the pit out because now they're a little bit broken open. It doesn't matter. Chop them up. Mix those a quarter cup into about 12 ounces of lean ground beef. Mix it together Add a little black ground pepper because it needs a little pepper and form it into patties. Mm. And you have these crazy, crazy, deeply favored olive burgers. Olive Mm. burgers. And olives have this amazing umami quality to them. It's going to up. 
the the savoriness of your burgers. I would recommend you serve these on whole wheat buns, and I would recommend you find a condiment like harissa, which is a Middle Eastern spice. Yeah, but based. get one that's labeled mild if you're using it as a condiment, because hot harissa is so, so hot, you cannot smear that and on a burger. If you don't want to do that, if you don't like that, then I would also suggest these burgers would be good with a combination of mustard and mayonnaise. Mm. Put a little lettuce on top of the patty. And you have these really fine, savory olive burgers. In my opinion, olives just lend themselves to Italian food so perfectly that we're going to make now an Italian pasta dish. Just in your opinion? Just in my opinion. No one else in the whole world thinks olives fit with Italian food. And no one else in the world likes deviled eggs either. (laughs) So there you go. So we're going to saute some some finely chopped red onion um, in a pan with some olive oil until it's very soft and kind of sweet. And then we're going to stir in some pitted minced olives. What color? I don't care if they're green or black, but they're pitted. You're going to mince them up. So you've caramelized your onion. You're throwing in your pitted olives. You're going to throw in some minced up sun-dried tomatoes. Mm. We're going to add two tablespoons of balsamic. Mm. We're going to add some chopped parsley. Mm. Once that's heated through, we're going to throw in about six ounces of cooked pasta. It could be spaghetti. Mm. It could be rigatoni. And then we're going to cover the whole thing with grated Parmesan. So it's like it's like Sicilian-ish um, because it's got the sun-dried tomatoes mm-hmm. and the olives mm-hmm. and could, the parsley. You could add some capers. You could throw capers in there too. You could even throw an anchovy in there. Oh, now you're talking. And not only a Parmesan, if you want to make it really traditional, throw some dried crunchy breadcrumbs on the top too. That would be really traditional. That would be really nice. And you can just, once you've got that spaghetti tossed into all that mixture, yep. then take it off the heat. Cover it with the breadcrumbs, cover it with Parmesan, right? Yeah. And basically, you're good to go. Basically, you can bring the skillet to the table. You could bring the skillet to the table and serve it right out of there and have a nice Brunello with it. Okay. My idea is easier than that, and it doesn't involve quite as much cooking. And that is that it is – people forget that you can make a lovely antipasto pizza. Here's what you need. You need to take one of those pre-baked crusts, uh, you know, like – Like the the boboli. Boboli, right, a pre-baked crust. And then just go to the salad bar at your supermarket and look at all the antipasto stuff, the marinated uh, red peppers, the sun-dried tomatoes, and, of course, in this case, the olives, the artichokes choke hearts, the hearts of palm, all that marinated mushrooms, all that sitting Ooh, the out there. Balls you can there take too. the bocchini balls if you want. I was trying to keep this kind of even vegan, but you can pull all of that out um, and uh, all of those antipasto ingredients, you sp- you you first take your, your crust, spread it with a little purchased pesto, or if you're mm. uh, real smarty pants, you've made pesto. But okay, so you buy pesto. Oh, pesto. You spread some pesto over the top of it. You just sprinkle on all those uh, antipasto ingredients to your heart's content, including those olives. And your, my recommendation is that they're pitted because I hate eating pizza and dragging the pits out of my mouth. Well, later. you're going to break a crown. Well, I know. Those are expensive. Those, that, that, there's a pizza place that we love in our part of New England. It's an amazing pizza place. And they uh, use actually coal-fired ovens, but they use pit olives, olives with pits in them on their pizzas. I'm suing them if I and, break a crown. <laughs> I just don't like picking that pit out of my mouth. So I would suggest pitted olives. But anyway, do all of that. If you want to cover it, I was keeping it vegan, but if you want to cover it with Parmesan cheese, it's this crazy antipasto pizza. And we're going to bake it, what temperature, like 400? 400 degrees, maybe about 
10 minutes. This is a really fast bake. Yeah. Put it on a baking tray, a baking sheet. Yeah. A really fast bake at 400 degrees Fahrenheit or about 200 centigrade. Gas fan, 9 million. <laughs> I don't even know what the gas I market want, that is. I want an antipasto pizza now. Okay, I'm going to go back to a little more complicated cooking. Um, and that is to do um, fish in packets with olives. Yeah, and I don't think it, well, we explain what fish in packets are. A lot if of you've never made now. fish in packets, so what you're going to do is you're going to traditionally it's just with parchment paper, but to make your life easier, you're going to take a piece of foil and put the parchment on top of it, and then the foil will allow the parchment to crinkle up and hold together. So basically, you put a piece of fish in the middle of this, you seal it up, you fold up the sides, you seal it all up like you're taking home leftovers in a restaurant shaped like a swan. And then you're going to bake it, right? So that's fish baked in the packet. Now, why don't I put the fish right on the foil? I don't like to bake right on aluminum, yeah, especially if acid's going in and we're going to have a little lemon juice. Can I just tell my my fish and packet story? What's your fish and packet uh, story? When I was in grad school, long before I met Bruce, and when I was in my PhD program at Madison, the the, the associate chairman of the department was in charge of all of us TAs and all the people who were, you know, teaching assistants and working with professors in their classes. And he had a secretary. And I'm embarrassed to say that I don't remember her last name, but I do remember her first name, June. And she and I got to be good friends because, you know, the only way you get anything done in this entire world is you become friends with the administrative assistant or the receptionist because it's the only way anything ever happens in this world. Anyway, I became friends with her. And her husband had had a heart attack. We're talking the mid-80s. And she told me this whole thing about making fish in packets to help him with his coronary issues to cut down on the fat and all this stuff. I'd never, I will admit to you that I was an American boy in the 80s. I had never heard of en papillot and this fancy thing. So I just referred to this from then on as Fish June. And I would go <laughs> home and make Fish June, which was just a fish Have fillet. Have you ever heard of a dish called Fish, fish June? June? Or right, Fish exactly. Maison. So, okay, so the way you make the packet, <laughs> put a piece of foil on your counter, put a piece of parchment on top of that. Then you're going to put a fish fillet on top of that. This is one serving. So you you're wanting a four to six ounce fillet, and on top of that, you're going to put. What kind of fish? Um, you can use almost any fish will work here that you like. Literally, it could be salmon, it could be bass, it could be snapper, it could be flounder. Scorpion fish. It can be any kind of fish. If it's a thin fish like a flounder, it's going to cook in about. 15, uh, even 10 minutes. If it's a thicker fish, like a snapper, it may take 15 or 20 minutes. So the cooking time will vary depending on the thickness of the fish. So the fish is on top of that parchment. Now you're going to put, oh, about five or six olives. These, again, you can use pitted or unpitted. It depends if you want to break a crown or not. I don't care if they're (laughs) black. I don't care if they're green. (laughs) Then the olives are the main flavor here. So then I want a little bit. I like to put an herb sprig in there. You could put a sprig of thyme, a sprig of rosemary. Um, You can put other vegetables if you want. But quite honestly, this is fish and olives. Um, And then I like to put a squeeze of fresh lemon juice. If you don't mind the extra fat, a drizzle of olive oil. Fold up the sides. Fold up the ends. Seal it up. Tight, tight, tight. tight, Because it's going to steam in there. Your oven is preheated to 400 degrees. These fish packets go on top of a a sheet pan. 15 minutes. Lipped, in case they leak, in case they leak, yeah, yeah, and then cool them for five minutes before you open them because steam will come rushing out and you don't want to get a facial. Yeah, and by the way, and I always say this in every recipe we write since I'm the writer and um, Bruce is the chef. I I get to add this, but I always say in the on papillot or in parchment or in paper or in whatever the fish in packets or fish June, I. Fish June. 
I always say, you know, that you have to help children with this. You cannot give a packet of steamy fish out of the oven to a child and let them open okay, it. If your child is eating themselves. fish with olives good for you, you're doing something right. Well, you are. But I'm just telling you that this yeah. kind of thing, yeah. you have to be really careful with right. kids around because right. it's super hot inside that packet. Right. And you don't want it to cool down too much because then the fish overcooks. So you really want to get the packet out and open it up. Yep. Um, and the foil will help because the foil is easier to handle when it's hot. It doesn't retain heat as quickly. As and the foil is great because the foil allows you to hold that parchment together. Yep. The French chefs in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s that did this on papillote, there was this complicated method of folding yeah, the is. parchment so that it holds and I can't do it. I don't have the patience for it. So I like to use the foil yeah, under the part. That's because this is supposed to be a super fast dinner. And the complicated folding, the origami that goes on mm-hmm. with the parchment paper, it just turns it from... from oh, fish June to fish origami. It, <laughs> I think I want to eat fish origami. Um, okay, so here's something that is... I'm going to go back to a really easy thing. And that is... If you would cut up, if you would cut up boneless, skinless chicken thighs into about oh, one, one and a half inch chunks. So, and remove any blobs of fat, by the way, because it's going to kind of be gross in this. So, trim them up, boneless, skinless chicken thighs, cut them into one, one and a half inch chunks, and now skewer them with thick zucchini rounds. And I'm talking thick. I'm talking like an, at least an inch thick, maybe okay. a little thicker. And big old fat pitted olives. In this Mm. case, you need fat pitted olives. Mm -hmm. Skewer them on bamboo skewers. There is no need to soak these skewers because this is going to cook so fast. Now, brush them with olive oil. Clean your grill grate. Heat your grate up. Heat your grate up to high. What, five minutes, ten minutes on the grill grate? Turning once, maybe? You want to make sure the chicken's cooked through. So either you could break a piece open to make sure or stick a thermometer in. You want to get the chicken to 165. But here's a tip. When you're skewering those zucchini slices, do not go through the center where the seeds are. Right. Go through the sides. So you're going into the side of the skin on one side and then out the skin on the other side. Right. So that it's a... Hard, so it's lying flat on its cut side as opposed to... And because the, the, the center gets super soft. And it'll fall off the skewer. Right, This exactly. way it'll all... I and love this idea of grilled olives. Oh, my goodness. It's the grilled olives with the chicken and the zucchini. And just brush it with olive oil. You don't need much else. If you want to salt it up, you can salt the chicken and zucchini up. But you can also do that at the table. This is... You can make as many of these as you want. And if you're listening to this podcast and want to do this in the winter, this is a good grill pan idea. Yep. Just make sure the grill pan is well greased before you start. Yep. Um, it, it so that the, nothing sticks. Chicken, you know how it is. It's like glue. So be careful of that. I That's also want to say, if you don't like zucchini for some reason, you're not a vegetable person, you can just alternate pieces of chicken thigh with olive and just have that many more olives. Yeah. So chicken, could. olive, chicken, olive, chicken, olive. It's, mm. it's easy skewers. Okay, so but now we're going to actually do one together, which we don't often do because we fight when we get together. But um, we're going to do one together, and that is... Uh, if we're talking about olives, we must be talking about... Martinis. Martinis. And if we're talking about martinis, we must be talking about... Gin. Thank you. A martini <laughs> is made with gin. Now, let me just tell all you vodka martini drinkers, you can just step off right now. <laughs> because if you have to put the word martini after it to know it's a martini, then it's not a martini. You could say, I'm having a martini, I'm having a martini, I'm expecting gin. If you have to say, I want a vodka martini, oh. therefore you're not having a martini, so you have to call it a martini. 
That's uh, not right. So, you know, it depends on what you like in your life. And I tend to like a super, super dry martini, which means that I like... Mm, what 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 do I like? When I, I make got... yours, I do about uh, three to one. So I'll do a quarter ounce of vermouth for <laughs> each three quarters ounces of gin. Yeah. That's three to one. I know a lot of people actually think that's pretty wet, not dry. Right. Because um, I know people, you know, the whole thing, people that wave the bottle of vermouth over their glass. Yeah, that's, no, then, then you I'm know actually... what? Then you're not having a martini either. Then you're just having gin. And this is my theory about that, about martinis and that. My theory about that is that you are using inferior vermouth. If you want to have spritz the the martini glass with with uh vermouth that's because you have bad vermouth there are dozens and dozens of high-end vermouth makers on the market these days and we're talking dry not sweet vermouth yeah there are dozens of them and you get better vermouth and then you like me will begin to understand why you put vermouth in a martini it softens it up it is the drink the drink is gin and vermouth. And yes, you could put varying levels of vermouth, but the idea of waving the bottle over or rinsing the glass out and then getting rid of the right. vermouth, then you're not having a and martini. You put this mixture in a cocktail shaker or wherever you want it because it actually doesn't isn't gonna get shaken. No. So because James Bond was wrong. You only shake a drink if there's fruit juice in it, if there's citrus in it. That's when you shake a drink. Otherwise, you're aerating it and you're changing the texture. You do not want to aerate your martini. No, you do not want foamy martinis. And so you put it in there, you stir it up, give it a good stir. Bruce puts this in a metal cocktail shaker and stirs it until the outside of the the metal cocktail shaker gets moist. Yeah, gets frosted. And then I strain it into a small four-ounce martini glass. None of these quart-sized martini glasses for us. martini because it has to be cold. And the only reason I even use a four-ounce glass is because I'm going to displace some of the liquid with my olives. And I need room for the displacement. Bruce knows that I like olives. And so I get four olives on a skewer uh, that are stuck into this glass. I don't like dirty martinis with the olive brine in it. I just want the gin, the vermouth, and then I want about four olives in it because I want to eat the olives slowly one by one. But not too slowly because the whole point of making a small drink is, A, you don't have to knock yourself in the head with a sledgehammer. And B, a martini should be cold. And if it's small, the chances are you will finish it off while it's still cold. Have you ever watched any movies from the 50s and the 60s? Look at the size of the martinis they're served. Thimbles. They're these tiny little martinis. I mean, the idea of the three martini lunch in the 50s. Right. You could have that because each martini had one ounce of gin in it. That's about right. And And one ounce. Now, three ounces per martini, a three martini lunch. Yeah, you're asleep under the table. Right, exactly. Three ounces, if not four and five ounces in these giant martini glasses. And it's just not, it's ridiculous. Look, because yeah, you want to call it a bowl. You, We're not sharing a tiki drink. If you want to make, uh, if you want to get a little blitzed, then make another martini. Don't drink warm gin. Life True. is too short for warm gin. Even if that is the way the queen likes to drink it. Well, but that is her well, issues. What can I tell you? She has buck teeth. <laughs> This was The Olive Show on Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough that you will go and subscribe to Cooking with Bruce and Mark wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you will. And I hope you will check out our 
YouTube channel, which is the same name, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We have crazy recipes going up in a series called A Deep Dig in which Bruce and I are whoa, on camera making things like bread and butter pickles and hummus and a Yorkshire favorite parkin. We've just been insane. I, I, I spent forever trying to figure out how to make the fudgiest brownies possible and how to do that. It involves meringue. So check out... <laughs> You check all of that out on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and connect with us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bruce is on Instagram under Bruce A. Weinstein. Otherwise, we're on all those platforms under our own names. Connect with us, and we would love to see you back here or anywhere on the next episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.